Welcome to the Enrollment Insights Podcast. In this podcast, our goal is to focus less on the promise of best practices and instead look for the processes and the questions that spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. I'm Angela Brown, Senior Enrollment Insights Leader at Niche, and my guest for this episode is Skylar Hefley. Skylar is an award-winning digital marketer, social media strategist, photographer, and videographer, copywriter, drone pilot, and graphic designer from Texas. He is now a name to follow in the online school PR community since joining Tyler ISD in 2020. Many know him by his T-spread nickname, Skylar from Tyler, and his goal is to bring all his private sector marketing experience and skills to the place that needs it most, education. He's here now to share the biggest secret to marketing success and one of my favorite things, customer experience. Skylar, welcome to the podcast. I am so happy to be on uh, and just get another opportunity to speak with you. It's uh, always a great <laughs> one. I appreciate that so much. We're thrilled to have you. And before we get into our topic for today, which I'm really pumped about, I want to start with the two questions we ask every guest on the podcast, starting with what is something you tried that didn't work and what did you learn? Well, you know, there's so many things that you learn throughout your career and everyone that's past their 20s say the 20s was like this huge like learning jump, right? <laughs> and so I'm not even that. I just turned 29 August 14th. So that's only been a couple days ago. And it's amazing to see what doesn't work and what works in your career. It's easy to evaluate on your personal life, but a little bit more difficult in your professional. But one of the major things that I tried that didn't work was trying to build a tech stack for a uh, previous company. We wanted to move to Salesforce and use it as a CRM and to use it as a automation platform with Pardot. And what happened is when transitioning from the previous CRM, we couldn't get our data. And so we had all these contracts and everything signed. I had the tech stacks all lined up where everything would automate and work together. But we ran into this major hurdle at the very end where we couldn't make the transition. And so that was one of the biggest mistakes that I ever made was realizing that on an operation standpoint versus a marketing standpoint, be careful because marketing always sounds great. But then yep. when it comes into actual implementation, it's very difficult to make that transition. And I made that mistake at I want to say 24 years old. And that was like wow. one of the big conversations I had with that ownership and leadership group was kind of like, you know, you led us down this path and then it kind of fell through there at the end. So that was one of the big mistakes I made, but it wasn't necessarily a major one in a sense of the impact afterwards. Uh, you know, I, I pride myself in trying to make the right decisions, but research, research, research. Yeah, that's so important. And that's something that I think is a constant tension point in, in schools and districts when you're trying to identify software tools that you need and figure out how they may or may not integrate with the other things that you have or things mm -hmm. that are being used in other departments. Uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the time that conversation does not happen. <laughs> and we have things that are chosen in silos, right? So that's that's a big lesson for sure. Yeah. It's un it was unbelievable. And also realizing who owns your data. Mm -hmm. Like if you're making the transition and it's a proprietary software that can't really export in anything except like a spreadsheet and then the next software can't really do anything else, you are kind of in a purgatory point 
yep. with your data. And a lot of companies will not make the transition without their historical data, which puts us marketers and people that are trying to move things forward in a weird position of not being able to uh, move faster, better, stronger into different platforms that actually help our end customer. So our next question is, what practices do you use to brainstorm and bring new ideas into your work? This is actually one of my favorite things that we get to do at work. I'm a high strategy personality. My chief of communications, uh, Jennifer Hines, uh, requires all of our team to take a personality test where we see what is our top skills that we have and we can kind of evaluate who has what skills. And mine is futuristic uh, communications, strategist, and some. there's another top two that I'm forgetting there. But this is one of my favorite parts is because I can see what I want, I can visualize. And then not only that, if I can get a group of people to do that, that multiplies mm -hmm. that impact. And so brainstorming is not just something that you do in a room and hope to have an outcome. You can actually go in with a very strategic way to your brainstorm and guarantee great outcomes from it. And a lot of times we sit in rooms for multiple hours and feel like we got nowhere, yeah. but we did debrief, but we didn't really get to the outcome that we originally wanted. So first off, the secret to everything marketing is customer experience and experiences. We're going to reevaluate that throughout the episode, no doubt. But is your brainstorm and is your team meetings an experience? What does that look like when you're trying to do a brainstorm? I recently did a brand campaign brainstorm meeting with uh, a few people in my department. They walked in, there was music playing. We had a mood board with already palettes and colors already uh, on a projector. There was adult coloring sheets. I had Play-Doh set out in multiple colors, uh, note paper on, the, on their place setting. We had a whiteboard and then there was also a printed agenda for every person that would already preset ready for them to go. So as they walk in, there's music playing, there's Play-Doh, there's color pencils, there's color palettes on the wall, there's pictures of students. So we're already in a headspace to make great ideas just from that alone, much less once we start into the agenda. You come in with a positive breath of fresh air because it's a positive experience from the start. So now the next thing is meeting the same expectations from that wonderful first impression and putting it actually into action. So I show a few helpful links and resources of this is what a brand campaign is. This is what I want to implement at a school district. How can we do this? And then I go into this is what the objective is. And the overview of our meeting is to we're going to create a brand campaign that unifies the district, has iconic imagery, provides the ability to have a fear of missing out and also provide an actionable and relatable story to our community. How can we do that? And so then right before I move through that is I set down ground rules. So all ideas are welcome. Negativity is not. Build on ideas. Don't shoot them down. Don't censor yourself. Encourage participation from everyone and no interruptions from the outside. Those ground rules then have to not be broken the entire time. Stating an objective and overview and then creating rules from that brand meeting. So you'd just be surprised on how much you can get done when having a super strategic intro and agenda to a brainstorm, what it creates. I love 
the idea of not just having a very clear purpose and strategy behind brainstorming, but also the idea that brainstorming can be fun and enjoyable. And that's something that I don't think we always think about when we approach brainstorming. Typically, it's this thing that we have to do. You know, it, feel, it can feel a little forced sometimes. It can be awkward. But the idea of creating a brainstorming experience and creating experiences in general internally for certain meetings is, is really, really cool. There's actually a book that I read this summer that people are probably getting tired of me talking about, but it's called Fans First by Jesse Cole, who runs the Savannah Bananas uh, in Savannah, Georgia. Oh my and goodness, that's crazy. I've seen all their stuff on social. Oh my gosh. Their, their social media presence is insane and their approach to customer experience is really incredible. That, and I, to the point where I've become a little obsessed with it. But mm -hmm. one of the things that they say in the book is that before you focus on your external fan experience, you should focus on your internal fan experience. And that's exactly what you're talking about, is that if you're going to create a, a culture of customer or parent or family experience in your school or your district, you got to start internally first. Because if your employees are not engaged and happy and passionate about what they're doing, but also about your institution, it's impossible for them to deliver that kind of a fan experience, so to speak, to your families. So you really do need to start inside before you look outside. And imagine going into a brainstorm, for example, like our brand campaign brainstorm meeting and starting with an unexciting intro with slides that moves <laughs> us into what do we think we should do? If you're not exciting during the brainstorm, what makes you think you're gonna make an exciting idea? Exactly. If I'm not listening to happy, peppy music, what makes me think that I'm going to magically create an exciting, peppy idea or happy idea that works for our community that meets those objectives? It's not necessarily like a pie in the sky type thing to create great ideas. You need to start from the, from the top. And people will also say, well, I only have my best ideas outside of work. Well, is it because you're surrounding yourself with great experiences outside of work versus inside. Right. Think about that. People say, oh, I have my best thoughts in the shower. Well, the shower is a really great experience because of everything uh, that's involved. You're alone time. It's uh, peaceful. It's calming. You're usually relaxing in the shower. So it's because you're surrounding yourself in an experience that can curate or create those yeah. ideas. So if you're not doing that in the work environment, how do you expect those same outcomes to happen? So it's really all pre-preparing these experiences to create an outcome that you're desiring because a one hour fun meeting that creates five outcomes that what you're trying to create is much better than a three hour meeting that created no outcomes like what you were wanting. Yeah, yeah. The, the it may process. feel ridiculous, though. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think it's important, though, for all of us to remember that the experience of, behind the process drives the outcome. That's the that's the really big takeaway here. So that is absolutely yes. That is the best practices of brainstorming and bringing new ideas is create an experience that actually will usher those to happen. Yeah, that's great. So the overarching theme for our discussion here under the umbrella of customer experience is the outlook for school PR and the shift that's happening from a more 
old school mentality that if our buildings are open, the students are going to come to districts really needing to think strategically about branding and marketing so that they can recruit new students and employees. You know, we know that's a really big issue right now. So when you're coming up with new ideas and monitoring trends, which anyone who follows you on social media knows that you are constantly doing, how do you prioritize what you try to bring back to your district? You know, it's funny. It's it's very difficult to watch trends and keep up with everything because when you swipe down on your app store, whether it be on your Android or your iPhone, there's 48 updates on your <laughs> phone for softwares or apps. So it's very difficult. I'm a weirdo that like reads the update notes. So I try to keep up with what's going, you know, updating on the platforms that I use the most because it is my job. But it is very difficult to kind of merge that type of thinking of being proactive into the education school PR world. We are typically more reactive rather than proactive. A lot of the most important things are like crisis communications and training and PD and and things that are more in response to certain things happening instead of being more proactive. And then marketing and branding comes kind of at the back burner of that. Yeah. Because if we're being reactive, branding and marketing is totally a proactive thing. So there is, a, and it's funny that you say the whole, if we're open, they'll come because <laughs> this is the week that the Field of Dreams is being played in the uh, MLB. So they have the Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. Yep. A custom game and field that they're using this week, which is really cool. But it's not like that anymore. School choice is becoming more and more uh, an option for parents. And it's not only an option, it's a really quality option mm -hmm. to the point where public schools are trying to get around this by creating magnet schools, which are basically yeah. public private schools that are specialized in a field, whether it be STEM, STEAM, art, career and technical academies. We have these, you choose to go to this school as a student and it's no longer going to be these kids are in my zone, they're going to go to this school because even transfers are becoming yeah. a possibility where districts are having to compete. My school district has a $0 transfer fee if you're outside of our district. So wow. it's already becoming a very difficult thing. But let's focus on what we talked about earlier was the experiences, right? So if our customers are parents, we need to make sure that their experience from the very beginning to the very end is phenomenal. And I'm talking from the very beginning, including like your first impression online or your online enrollment experience all the way to graduation. It yeah. has to be phenomenal. You have to kind of also look at if you're trying to prioritize things, what changes in that process or from that beginning to end process has the biggest impact to your customers, which are parents. If you're always looking at pie in the sky dreams like I'm going to create an app that does this. Well, now you have to talk to a developer and it costs a lot of money to do that. And then is, is anyone going to download the app? Now we have to market the app. A lot of times we'll see ourselves reaching for the stars when we could just correct some of the trees that are being planted currently mm -hmm. or manipulate them or trim them to where we get rid of some of the excess uh, fat around these operations and touch points. So it's all really just about where are your touch points and how can I make those more efficient? You got first impressions. Where are those at? Online, your website, tours, your online enrollment experience. What are reviews saying on directories like Niche or yeah. uh, Google Reviews or 
great schools. Yep. There's tons of different first touch points that impact a parent's thought process when it comes to school choice. And you need to be able to prioritize those based on the largest impact. And that's the simplest way to put it. I think that's a, a really great way to think about it is even if you follow the parent journey, right? And how they're searching for schools, which we're getting ready to launch our parent survey again. And I, I'm very, I'm always interested in the data that comes out of that because it's specific to school search. But I do want to kind of stick with one of the points that you made about some of these review sites, because I think it's important for, for districts to think about, and schools in general, if your website is the front door, then some of those other third-party platforms are like the steps. It's actually an analogy that I used yesterday because you can't necessarily assume based on the way that parents search for schools that your website will even be the first thing that they see. And so you have to understand that as much as important as websites are, as much investment goes into websites, and I know that a lot of people kind of hang their hats on that and there are things that are really that they're really proud of, you might get struck from the list before a parent even gets there because they're starting with search engines. They're starting with word of mouth, you know. So if if you're not paying attention to some of those off-site properties and platforms, you're definitely missing out. Absolutely. I mean, I've recently bought a refrigerator and I immediately asked Google, what are the top five refrigerators for 2022 and then i go to tom's guide or i go to a uh, cnet or uh, uh ratings.com and i go and read here's what they suggest here's the one that's best for counter depth here's the one that's best for oversize here's the one that has uh french doors and then you kind of filter down of okay what what kind of fridge do i want and if that same thing can be said for schools yeah if i'm looking for things that are only have the opportunity for orchestra, well, that strikes like 15 schools in my area immediately off the list. Yes. So people think that parents will say, well, this is my school and it's the easiest for me to go to. So that's that's what we're going to do. But if orchestra is a selling point for that campus and this parent is specifically looking for a school that has an orchestra program or a award-winning orchestra program, Yep. That that takes a lot of schools, especially sometimes public schools, off the radar completely. You're not even a starting option. And much less if they do visit your front door, which is your website, do you have anything about your orchestra program if you have one? <laughs> right. So it's like the the thought process of, oh, oh well, they'll, they'll visit our website and hit the online enrollment button. Do you have anything on your campus or district website that makes a parent want to click online enrollment? Or... Do you think a parent would even go to a website just searching at schools and actually choose to enroll? That's the final decision, not the first right. decision. It's right. kind of like, I don't know. I, I'm on the total opposite end here. When, when I think about prioritizing things, I look at things like funnels and flywheels, similar to some of the marketing books that you hear, but I try to prioritize from the top. So mm -hmm. what, what creates the most amount of traffic or parent engagement to my enrollment page or said marketing page, if I can correct how many parents are going there, it's much easier to convert 20 out of a thousand than it is 20 out of 200. Right. So then if I have 2000, I can 
then decide, well, those next that next stage, the learning about our program or visiting this next page or getting past the first an online enrollment jump, there's an even larger jump, then I can prioritize that next piece. But if I'm going from the bottom to the top, that's kind of more difficult because then it's very good once you get to the enroll, like the online enrollment is so easy. It's terrible. It's one click easy, but we don't have people getting to that page. Then the work that you put maybe a year or two into making that online enrollment piece great, there's not enough people visiting to even get you good metrics. So I kind of view it the opposite ways. The more people I have, the more data I have to move me down that priority list based on touch points, kind of like what we said. So that is kind of how I would prioritize it. But it is it is very difficult because every single prioritization takes a lot of time and work across yeah. multiple departments. Yeah, which is actually a good segue to one of our blockers, which is red tape internally, right? <laughs> so oh, one of the things that we talked about when we were planning for this conversation is the need to get around that internal red tape when it comes to implementing new ideas if you want to move this work forward. So are there some tips that you can share with listeners that you've used to pitch new ideas to your teams internally and getting buy-in when you want to, to do something new? Absolutely. New ideas are one, hard to come by, Great ideas are hard to come by. So when you do finally come by them, you have to be able to pitch this to leadership. You have to. If we're going to expect change in our school PR careers or wherever you're in a private school or public school, vice versa, Montessori's, you have to be able to sell that idea. I have a coworker on my team that says Ev everything is sales. And we always laugh at each other because we are both from the private sector. We're not from education and we laugh and we're like oh we need to do you know this sponsorship opportunity or this so everything is sales now i have to sell that idea to transportation to put signs on our buses or i need to sell that idea or then after i get it confirmed i have to sell the ads to mm -hmm. businesses that would be willing to do it so we always laugh and we're like y'all well, don't realize it but we both know everything is sales <laughs> now in order to sell anything what do you have to use we've talked about it the number one thing is experience it runs through every single avenue that you look at. The experience of the brainstorm was based on crafting a great first impression that then ushered ideas. Well, when you're pitching ideas to get past red tape through leadership and in all these different departments, you have to be able to create a pitch deck or some type of visual that will give them a 90% view of what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. You can't have a five minute conversation at a desk with things that you're going to improvise and maybe say that isn't true or that you don't have data to back it up. You need to be able to go in with some form of something that they can have in an email or they can print out and look over while you're going through it. So a pitch deck, if you don't know what it is, it's just a brief presentation or PowerPoint. It just gives you an overarching view of what you're trying to do, uh, implement a new product, feature, service, whatever. And it's very common in the private sector. And if you've ever been to any of these school PR webinars, they're all using pitch decks for their products. It mm -hmm. feels like it's helpful information, but it's just a pitch deck. It's to give you, here's all the reasons why what we do is great. So you need to do that for your idea. What is it that you're trying to do? Can I see an example of what you're trying to do with visuals? And then have you collaborated with multiple departments to maybe create that pitch deck where now HR and communications thinks that this is a great idea and we pitch it together to leadership. So now you're no longer coming as 
the person that wants to do this is one person. It's now we think this affects multiple departments or transportation, human resources and communications thinks that this is a great idea. And we would like to show you this quick pitch deck of why we think this is a great idea. Now you have multiple executives or directors pitching an idea to leadership, and it's hard to say no to a great idea that makes sense with data, with backing from different departments. That's great. I, I love the idea of recruiting people from other departments to help support the argument to do something new. That's a really great tip. So our next question, this is a big one, a huge topic. We're going to get into recruiting. So we know that we're in this really critical teacher shortage right now to a certain degree. It's also happening with with administrators and in other areas. There was a Washington Post article earlier this month. It's August of 2022 for, for people who might be listening a little bit later that was talking about just how dire the shortage is in some part of the country and some of the choices that different states are making to manage these staffing shortages. So in rural school districts in Texas, your home state, they're switching to four-day weeks this fall in Florida, they're asking veterans with no teaching background to go into classrooms and teach. And Arizona is allowing college students who are on the path to graduate with teaching certifications to step in on an interim basis and teach children. So there's a lot of creativity around solving this issue. When we spoke earlier about this episode, we spent a lot of time talking about the digital experiences that districts are creating for prospective teachers from the technology that they're using to the need for storytelling and job descriptions, which I think is a very powerful point. But I think a lot of people are missing these things and their outreach to, to recruit teachers. So can you talk a little bit more about some of the things that you're seeing and, and your thoughts on what schools and districts should be keeping in mind as they're trying to recruit teachers? Customer experience and focusing on, again, customers always need to be in quotes because it pivots based on what your outcome is trying to be. You're always trying to create a great experience, whether it be digital or not, but customer in quotes this time is technically prospective teachers, right? So what is my prospective teacher experience? Have you secret shopped your district's job experience? How is it that you post your jobs? Where is it that you post your jobs? What is it like to actually apply for a job at your school district? Again, we talked about the funnel in the previous question is, am I breaking down barriers or speed bumps that increases the amount of prospective teachers that can potentially apply? And, you know, as we look through that, a lot of school districts put a lot of hurdles on themselves of yeah. they're not posting their jobs on Indeed. They're not posting jobs on LinkedIn if they even use a LinkedIn. They house all of their jobs on a either careers website or the district's page, which then don't have salary transparency. Mm -hmm. Then they have to go and create an account to apply. And then they have to recreate their resume within this system. Yes. <laughs> it's like if, if it takes your prospective teacher more than 20 minutes to apply for a job and they can't do it on the phone. So they have to take the time to bring out a laptop or something like that. You're losing probably 50% of your applicants just based on the hurdle of them having to do finish the application process. If you're telling me that, yes, there's a staff shortage and I'm not willing to remove the hurdles of getting certified teachers in the doors, then that is another reason why it may feel like there's a major staff shortage. 
is if we have all these barriers up and our digital experience to actually apply is very difficult, it's very hard to find great teachers when you're only having to choose from 20. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's sad to say, but if, if everyone is fighting over the same certified teachers and your district or your application process to get a job when you're in dire need is difficult, it should be like a red flag immediately. That, that should like immediately pop up of like, what can I do to get more applications? And if you're not fixing those things, it does, it does get a little difficult. But if, even if you talk about the experience, if you don't want to change those things, what does your job descriptions look like? for these positions? Do they say what someone should expect in this role, the impact that they're going to provide? When I read job descriptions for most school districts, it's must have four-year degree teacher certificate, must be have five years experience doing this, must, if uh, not able to carry or hold 50 pounds, not able to work here, you know, uh, right. must be able to use this type of technology, uh, blah, blah, blah. Why is it that in job descriptions, we're telling them every reason why they shouldn't apply for this job or they're mm -hmm. not qualified versus saying, we know that you reading this have the ability to make a great impact at our school. Not only that, if we don't think that it's at this school, we're going to find a school that you can make an impact at and talk to them as if they're one person because yeah. the job description is a one to one conversation. It's not a press release or something. It is you're talking to one person when they read it. So a lot of these job descriptions are very, very like cut and paste legal yes. when it should be uh, another opportunity to sell why this job is meant for them. Yeah, I have a particular bone to pick with education job descriptions because it's such a missed opportunity to, it, 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 typically they come across as wish lists, right? Mm -hmm. From the district, from the school, and there's an opportunity for you to do a little bit more storytelling and sell them to go back to everything as sales, right? Yes. Tell these people why they should want to come and work for you. You know, like what what is the culture? What are what are your values? Everyone has these mission statements and core values that they put a lot of time and effort into developing. And those should come through in your job descriptions. And unfortunately, I think that job descriptions are sort of neglected. You know, they're, they're these things that everybody has to put together. They're typically template driven, right? Mm -hmm. So not a lot of thought goes into them. But at a time, especially where there's this crisis from a recruitment standpoint and a retention standpoint, I mean, dealing with some of the internal issues that are causing this teacher shortage to begin with, that's a, a whole different conversation. But from a recruitment standpoint, I see a lot of conversations about, you know, how do we market our school to teachers? How do we market our district to teachers? And there's a lot of focus on creating the visuals that get them to apply. But <laughs> if the application process itself is broken, then you're spinning your wheels for something that isn't going to have the outcome that you need. So it's really important to think about recruitment holistically the graphics are great. The social media posts and, and all of that is wonderful. But if people are getting to the application process and there are multiple points of friction that cause them to either abandon it or get stuck, then you're wasting your time. So I, I like that idea of secret shopping so that you can actually see what that experience is like to begin with. Yeah, and write down the hurdles that you found along the way. And also when you're secret shopping, don't assume that every person visiting this website has the same computer ability as you 
or mm. computer literacy. If it's difficult for me and I have a four-year degree and work on a computer every day and on my phone every day and I'm very tech savvy and it takes me 20 minutes to do it, what do we think it takes for custodians and bus drivers right. to try to complete this? If people with teacher certificates that have four-year degrees are saying, hey, the application process it was very difficult, it took a long time for me to get through, and then we're com you know, not complaining, but we're concerned about the amount of applications coming for other positions that may have shortages. If it was difficult for someone that's shouldn't, it shouldn't be difficult for, it's definitely going to be difficult for the people that may not have as much computer literacy. And then you're having to take staff hours to hold their hand through the process by having meetings where there's a computer resource or somewhere on a campus or a district to try to get them through. That That's even costing you more money. So you may save money by just repairing the application process. I, I went to a private school's website where they were hiring and recruiting and they had a one-click to apply button. It said apply with LinkedIn. We all put our work experience on LinkedIn, our bios, our photos, et cetera. You just clicked that button and it knew your email, your first and last name, all the things that you put on LinkedIn. It created a virtual resume and they just had to click a button. I don't think that they're probably struggling for right. teachers to choose from or people to choose from because they made it convenient for their, in quotes, customer. And think about the brand signal that that sends. Right? Oh, yeah. That's I care about the thing. people. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I don't think that in education in general, we've quite caught up to other industries and understanding the brand signals that we send with all of these little touch points. And so if you're a district or a private school or whatever category you might fall into that's claiming to be innovative or, you know, forward thinking, a lot of schools talk about how they prepare students for the future and jobs that don't even exist yet, and then your online job application or enrollment experience falls flat, you know, Correct. is antiquated, has a ton of friction, can be frustrating. That's a conflict. Yep. Especially for your, your districts out there with uh, social, economical yes. gaps and things is you have to think about that. If your number is, you know, 60 to 85% of uh, that group, you have to think about what does that look like on their end as well. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. it, I mean, use the numbers that we pull every year to think about what does this experience look like for not only us, but for everyone in our community. Right, right. So I want to wrap up about, uh, we, this, is a, this is a big one because it kind of ties everything that we've talked about together. And that is the pace of change in schools. And how to manage expectations around that pace, both for ourselves as communications professionals, because we tend to be the ones who want to move things forward and move them forward quickly, but also among our colleagues, which might be a little, you know, a little slower to, to adopt some of these brilliant ideas that we, that we come up with. So you shared this concept of the new old team when we were talking earlier that I thought was really interesting on this topic. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about what that means and how it fits in this conversation about change management. It's very difficult. I've found that school PR is very, not unreceptive, but it's very difficult to kind of get out of the rut. And the reason being is school PR, we have a calendar of events that happen every year. You have graduation that happens every year. You have an enrollment fair every year. You have these things that are annual, 
So when you do start talking about change, it's kind of like, well, we've been doing this for the past five years. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, but it's all stemmed from the events happening every year. So then the way you market those events are the same every year. And so when you start suggesting changes, it's like, well, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But who's evaluating if anything's broke? Right. Right. We just talked about through this whole, you know, podcast is maybe someone's not implementing changes of things that are broke. So it is very difficult to implement change. And our superintendent is actually great at this. He has a quote that he's wanting me to create this wall art similar to your startup companies. But he's I, I love it. I love it. I It's called or it, it is uh tradition will get you beat mm. right so holding on to that it's always been this way will get you beat in a lot of scenarios whether that be athletics whether that be how you go about running a human resource department how you communicate to your parents doing something that is old can get you beat in the long run yeah because if you're not always trying to implement change which is the opposite of tradition you're never going to be able to keep up with the the surrounding changes that are going on. You also like this new old team concept. One of the most, I guess, one of the biggest changes we saw that I can give a metaphor for for everyone to kind of understand is: Do we remember when T-Mobile came out with the campaign of "You get a free iPhone if you sign up for T-Mobile"? This is not me plugging T-Mobile either. <laughs> You get a free iPhone if you sign up for T-Mobile and we'll give you another one for free. And this is for new and existing customers. No one in the phone industry was doing that at mm -hmm. the time. They were just like new. If you're a new customer, if you switch from T-Mobile to Verizon, we'll give you a new iPhone. If you switch from uh, Verizon to come to AT&T, we'll give you a new iPhone. No one was doing anything for existing customers. Yeah. And we find the same thing in our work environment is... Everything, oh, the new teachers get raises to $55,000 a year. And the others are going to get a back pay of 5% of the mid-gap or et cetera. Mm -hmm. So T-Mobile really bridged this gap where now AT&T, Verizon, everything they say is you get the free iPhone 13 Pro when upgrading another to another line for new and existing customers. So if T-Mobile would have never made that a priority, it would have never moved into the other companies. Yeah. So this whole new old concept is that same exact metaphor. What are you doing for your existing customers as well as your new customers? And it's the same thing with your colleagues as well. What are we doing for our existing workers or employees to make them be passionate about their work and be open to change? And how are we bringing in new people to then they're specialists typically when they're coming in. How can we let them specialize and usher change without mm -hmm. being also told not to do things that are different because tradition will get you beat? Right. So we have this little ebb and flow of current staff and new staff trying to blend together to make these major changes that need to happen in public education and education in general. But you have to be able to blend those to where it actually has an outcome that you're doing. And or that you're looking for. So it is very difficult, but think about it as a new old team. How can I make my old employees and my new employees create a dynamic team with both sides being completely respected for their ideas? And that's a perfect place for us to end. So people want to connect with you online. Where can they reach out to you if they want to pick your brain or learn more about the work that you're doing? 
yeah, please uh, follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. It's at Skylar Heffley, Skylar with an E. You can visit SkylarHeffley.com to see uh, what all I do, even see my quick portfolio. And also, I, I work for Tyler ISD. Check out their social media accounts for inspiration or even to compare. Uh, I'm not saying that we do everything great, but we are trying to up our game when it comes to content distribution. Uh, we have a great team here that handles podcasts and uh, short form video. We have amazing photographers. The press that we get here because Tyler has four media outlets in a small town is amazing. <laughs> so it, it is cool to kind of see what we've been able to implement across the three years that I've been here. And also I'll be at the TASB TASA conference that's coming up in San Antonio in September. I'm going to be speaking with my chief of communications, Jennifer Hines, as well as my executive director for HR, Sherry Taylor, about the magic of recruiting. So we're going to give everyone magic wands if you attend, and we're going to be wearing top hats in black and white, and we're going to ask you to wave <laughs> your wand every time we give you a tool and a strategy that you can use. So we'll I would love to see you there. If you're going to be there, come, come by. Uh, I'll definitely show you the magic show. I love, love, love that. I wish I could be there because that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> but what we did was we wanted to make our presentation memorable. And what is it? Everyone at the same time. It's all about the experience, yeah. right? Yeah. We, I, you may not remember anything I say in that presentation about recruitment marketing, but you're going to say, did you go to the presentation that gave out the magic wands or did you go to the <laughs> magic show? That's going to stand out, no doubt. We'll make sure that we include all of those links in the show notes. Skylar, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. No, and thank you for having me. Mm -hmm.